This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Welcome to Dental All-Stars. I'm Eric Vickery, Lead Mastery Coach at All-Star Dental Academy and President of Vickery Coaching. Guys, I'm very excited to interview our guest today. David Ehrlich is uh, just a, a great guy. We've been talking here for a few minutes, and I'm excited to get into it, ask some questions on your behalf, really get to know him. He's, he's a lawyer, and so I want to get to that side of things and help just really give you some insight on how to make sure you are protecting your practice and yourself. And so some, just some background on David. He grew up in South Florida and earned a business marketing degree from the University of Central Florida. Then he graduated with honors from Nova Southeastern University Law School. He's uh, practiced business litigation, insurance coverage litigation, real estate litigation, corporate transaction, and he's a Florida Supreme Court certified mediator. He's been a lawyer for 12 years, seven of which was at Blank Rome, one of the largest law firms in the world. And he started his own practice in 2019 to handle his own client base and focus on areas of the law that he's passionate about. And he's a proud husband and a father of two elementary aged kids. So welcome, David. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. And, and thanks for referencing my kids at the end. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, that's, that's the part I'm most proud of. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be involved with this. Absolutely. And I see you got some artwork on your wall for those that are watching on YouTube. Is that, I'm assuming that's from the kids. That's not your own work. I do. And I wouldn't trade them for a Van Gogh. Yeah, that's great. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So cool. So I know that you and I have just been talking, getting to know each other. And, and I've been wanting to discuss, you know, I hear from doctors that they have this fear factor, right? They have this, I don't want to be sued thing going on in the back of their mind all the time. And I want to just get your insight to help dentists out with this and, and just give them some peace of mind, uh, allow them just to feel good about what they're doing. And, and I guess I guess it's peace of mind, right? I think that's that's really what we're after here. So I'd love to jump into this, ask you some questions and see what, uh, what we can provide as far as value for those listening. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds right. great. Awesome. And, and businesses encounter all different types of pitfalls and problems. And dentists uh, specifically as business, and it depends if you're coming at this from uh, as a, a practice owner or an independent contractor. Uh, but one of the issues that I see most, com most common in my practice uh, are breakdowns in uh, employment and independent contractor agreements between the practice owners and any independent contractor physicians, or if they choose to hire hygienists or any other staff on a independent contract basis, as opposed to a W-2 employee. And those contracts uh, have all sorts of clauses that are, that are fraught with issues. And, um, you know, one issue that, that is very common and specifically for dentists uh, that might deal with multiple dentist practices are non-compete agreements. And that is when you agree to work for a, a, a dentist's office. It's natural from the employer side. Uh, if you're if you have your own practice, it's natural for you to say, "Well, I don't want to hire a dentist that's going to help my practice get their own client uh, uh, patient base and then try to go off on their own and, and take my patient base." Right? Uh, that's something that we see very common in numerous industries, especially service-based industries like dentistry. Yeah, and so. When I counsel my clients from the when I'm when I'm counseling clients that 
have their own practice, uh, and th that is to design non-compete uh, non agreements that will prevent that as best as possible under the law, because Florida law does have uh, a non-compete statute that designates uh, certain time frames and geographic radiuses are reasonable to include. And so I counsel clients to include the, the uh, fullest extent of what is presumed reasonable under Florida law to protect them from having an independent contractor dentist specifically uh, that can garner favor with their patient base and then start their own practice down the street and yeah. try to take it with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, what about, and, it, and that leads me into a W2 employee, you know, how does, how does a dentist avoid, and I guess this is a state by state thing probably, but a wrongful dismissal of an employee, a W2 employee. That's, that's a great question. So Flor you know, Florida specifically is an at-will state, which basically, and many states in the country, are, the, the majority are what's called at-will states, which yeah. mean you can basically hire or fire anyone, an employer can hire and fire uh, any employee uh, for any basis that's not protected. So basically anything that's not discriminatory. Uh, so you can, if you don't like someone's shirt, <laughs> you know, as long as it, that shirt doesn't have anything to do with race, gender, religion, or any of the various uh, pro protected classes, uh, you can you can let someone go. Uh, and that, but it's also common um, to have employment contracts that spell out what what you can and what you cannot terminate someone for, because that helps with clar uh, clarify uh, what rights and obligations the independent contractors have. Okay. Um, I got you. Yeah. Sure. And then the one other thing I did want to say about these employment agreements is that if you're coming at this from the, if you happen to be a dentist working for someone else's practice, uh, there's other issues to, to look at when, when you're approached with those contracts. Uh, and that is the duration of it and uh, whether, what the termination clause is, um, what they can and, and what they cannot terminate the contract for uh, and what type of severance might be and uh, you might be entitled to. So I help uh, dentists and other physicians uh, negotiate on the contractual side. Uh, I've done it on both sides where I've helped employers, uh, you know, incorporate the best possible language for employers and then on the employee or the independent contractor side to make sure that the termination agreement or the termination clauses give them enough flexibility uh, that might um, help them and not restrict them in the future. Got it. Got it. And we're in this COVID, <laughs> you know, I call it uh, post-COVID, <laughs> right? We're post-COVID. And so AC after yeah, COVID, so. after COVID, yeah, we're, we're in this, we're back up and running, but now there's all of these, you know, new protocols and things that we're implementing and the PPE, you know, all this terminology that the general public really wasn't aware of before. And so how do you see COVID playing a role in a dental practice where the, the dentist really needs to worry about protecting themselves not only from COVID and, and that perception, but also from litigation, either from a patient or another employee. Absolutely. Uh, COVID-19 has affected every aspect of American life. And that certainly uh, includes dentistry. Now, mm -hmm. the good thing for dentists is that they have, uh, as part of their practices, PPE and other protective gear and masks and other uh, common accoutrement to what it 
takes to be a dentist is already kind of baked into the pie to running a dental practice. Uh, it's almost a good thing that the rest of society has now uh, been exposed to the necessity and the benefits of it. Uh, but, you know, dentists have been ahead of the curve in that regard in yeah. terms of wearing masks whenever you're looking into someone's mouth. And, and, and in that sense, uh, dentistry has something of an advantage to some other industries that don't have those baked in safeguards. Uh, but at the other, on the other end of it, it dentistry isn't literally an up in your face business, right? And so physical distancing and social distancing that have been promulgated by society, it's very difficult to be a dentist when you can't get within six feet of somebody. So you're naturally going to have to uh, break that proximity barrier and, and get up in your patient's face. And, and that will um, breed a, a little bit of, of either skepticism or, uh, you know, some patients might be uncomfortable with it. And I, I would counsel dentists to make, make patients feel very comfortable uh, during that process. And then in terms of, of avoiding litigation, you know, society is fraught with uh, thirsty plaintiff's lawyers that like mm. to um, bring claims for anything that they think might trigger some kind of early resolution uh, specifically from, you know, an insurance company and in this case, a malpractice carrier or a general liability claim for the transmission of COVID-19. Now the, the science that I've seen and that, that has been litigated is it's incredibly difficult to ascertain a specific transmission point, uh, even in the situation where you have, okay, well, everyone knows that 70 people that went to a specific wedding, or they can <laughs> sometimes narrow it down to a specific time frame or an event that they, that they contracted it from. But really, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. So I don't see a, a flood of litigation coming uh, about negligence that led to transmission necessarily, but that's certainly something that dentists should have on their radar. And I certainly counsel them to have, you know, plexiglass dividers uh, and as, as much PPE and avoidance of physical distancing other than the necessities of, yeah. of especially hy hygiene and treatment, yeah. uh, you know, cleanings and, uh, and any kind of treatment is going to be difficult yeah. uh, without breaking that physical distancing and, and, and waivers also. So, you know, a dentist as part of its sign up paperwork can certainly have a patient acknowledge that, that they cannot guarantee that, you know, the, the spread of COVID-19. Uh, now is that, some something that would be proof positive in court if ever pushed. Uh, it's not possible, but an acknowledgement is something that you can at least demonstrate to a jury or uh, in general that they've at least acknowledged that this was a, a, a danger that they uh, assumed when, uh, you know, undertaking treatment. Okay. I, I'm assuming no, I don't know of any cases of transmission in the North, in North America of COVID within a dental office. Have you heard anything like that or? I, I haven't uh, specifically, and I but but keep in mind that anything that would be publicized, any case law or any decisions that are usually publicized are either post verdict or if someone forgets to uh, include a confidentiality agreement in in a release, and and then a plaintiff's lawyer might post it on their website. Look how much I got yeah. from so and so dentist down the street. So just because they're not publicized doesn't mean that they're not out there. And for for every uh, 
um, for every so so many lawyers, there's going to at least be a few that that try to pursue claims like that if they think there's a payday at the end of the day. Yeah, feels feels like it'd be really hard to prove that they got COVID in a dental office. Absolutely, right? and I, I would yeah. I would look forward to defending something like that for sure. Yeah. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right, and then we also dealt with being shut down, and there was all you know obviously. Um, Triple P money was a great help to that. But then there was this business interruption talk. I never heard of business interruption. I mean, I have a business degree and I was like, there's business interruption insurance? I was like, what is this? And there's claims of this. And so what what can you shed some light on this and just tell us what we need to know and, and maybe more for future reference? Yes. Uh, business interruption is is has has the potential to be one of the biggest uh, rushes of litigation in all of the United States. If a few cases are decided in favor of business owners, it could open the absolute floodgates. Uh, now, what business interruption insurance is, is uh, an insurance product that it's usually a rider or in, an endorsement on top of a comprehensive um, uh general liability and general um, business policy that has the right to, if you are shut down for various reasons, uh, that you can seek first party benefits from your insurance company for the lost revenue that you otherwise would have received. Now, if what you have know, that coverage, right? That's, if and, that, and you bring up a really important point because it's, it's not it's common amongst a lot of businesses. It's most associated with restaurants and the yes. hospitality industry yeah. because that is something that they simply have no other means of revenue other than being physically open as a brick and mortar, mm -hmm. right? A dentist, theoretically, heaven forbid you're shut down for a day, for a day or two, you can catch up on some other, uh, uh, you know, billable exercises like actually um, creating the models and, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, working on veneers and there, there's a lot of different things that a dentist can do on an off day to continue that, you know, work towards obtaining revenue that other businesses can't. So in that sense, it's an advantage. Uh, but again, if you're, if you're shut down for, you know, more than a few days, uh, yeah. that could be a disaster. So um, what, but that insurance, uh, the reason I, I'm hesitant to say that it is going to be a floodgates and, and that we're not just on the precipice of the floodgates is because the insurance industry is not going to just lay down and say, you know what, there, there's potential, you know, trillion dollars oh gosh, in money yeah. loss in the economy. Hey, come at me for the money, right? They're not, yeah. they're never, they're never going to do that. So they're, they're, uh, pursuing all potential legal defenses. And that is that their their primary argument, and, and it's being decided in, in all over America right now, we're going to know a lot more in the next six months. But what insurance companies are arguing is that uh, in order to have a valid claim for business interruption, there must be what's called a direct physical loss. And that means that did something touch something or someone that led to the shutdown? And now the natural argument is, well, and if you're, if you have your own dental practice that, well, look, I had to shut down because the physicality of a virus on my equipment in my airspace that could lead to uh, someone actually getting COVID. And now the insurance company's various counter arguments are, well, you cannot ascertain, you can't prove that that was, that that molecule or that virus uh, matter was physically on 
anything in your office. It's all theoretical. You shut yeah. down because the government told you so, That's not right. because you can prove that it was on your uh, your implements or in your airspace. So those those are the, those are the sort of the battleground. Uh, that's that's the the playing field for that uh, that argument. Now there have been at least one decision in Florida favorable to a business owner, but that was the denial of a motion to dismiss. Now what that means is that the court said there's enough there to keep going, uh, but not necessarily that you know we're, we're agreeing with the plaintiff altogether. So yeah, uh, if if courts ultimately decide in favor of, of business owners, that could be a humongous area of litigation that, that clogs the court system for, for years to come. But it could also give redress to uh, many dentists and, and business owners that have been aggrieved by this whole process. So uh, it's, it's very exciting as a lawyer to see where that, where that goes, because that's going to dictate where a lot of the, the uh, specifically the insurance industry goes over the next few years. So if I'm understanding correctly, two, two things. One, insurance is all, only good until you need it, and then it doesn't pay anything, <laughs> right? And then two, to sum it up, what you're saying is if a business owner of any sort at some point wins one of these cases against their insurance company to pay out business interruption due to COVID shutdown, it will open the floodgates for other businesses to start following suit, in which case it would be uh, catastrophic financially for insurance companies, it sounds like. That, that's right. And, yeah. and, the, what I, and what we can distill that down in recommendations for the listeners yeah. is, is contact your insurance uh, broker and find out whether that is a coverage that you have. Uh, and it's possible that, you know, if you don't know, then worse comes to worse. You just, it, it's worth a phone call to find out. And it, it's possible, not everyone knows what coverages they have, because usually you get these comprehensive policies that can have additional endorsements and riders on them. Uh, and it, it's certainly worth a phone call to find out. And then if you do, I would speak to your broker about whatever your insurance carrier's uh, preferred claim format is and work with your broker uh, to, to submit a claim um, for business interruption. And that would include whatever days you were closed uh, as a result of any municipal shutdowns or any government guidelines. Uh, yeah. So I just want to make sure I understand too. So you're saying... I call, I find out I have business interruption insurance. I was closed now, retro, you know, March and April, maybe some end of March to middle of May. For that time frame, I can still call and see about filing a claim for that? You can you can call and and, and try to file a claim. I think the main the main uh the the main modus operandi would be also be to consider going forward because we're about to experience additional yeah. municipal shutdowns. So I'd, I'd be more optimistic about a prospective claim and being prepared yeah. for a prospective claim gotcha. and going back eight, nine months, because mm -hmm. at this point, if you're talking about March and April, uh, it's possible that the insurance company, in addition to the other defenses that I, that I brought up before, might also argue that they're now prejudiced by the inability to, in, to inspect your, your practice. Yeah, it's too late. Who knows, who knows whether <laughs> COVID was there or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I got gotcha. it, it's it's still look it's still worth pursuing. Uh, you're not out anything by uh, working with your broker to at least submit a claim. But I want and I also want to clarify this. You're not saying that if the government says you have to be shut down, that is then uh, an opportunity for you to file a business interruption claim. It doesn't work that way. It's it's 
it is not as simple as that. I, yeah. I think that can be the basis in that. And then you at least have a timeline that you can, you know, it's evidence that you were shut down and that, that it helps uh, explain the necessity to shut. Down. I gotcha. Okay. All right. But that in and of itself is not going to, yeah. you know, that doesn't make a claim itself. All right. So the COVID train, we'll, we'll move, we'll move beyond the COVID thing because uh, there's some other areas I want to cover. And, and I want to think in terms of peace of mind, I, I have some, you know, I, we use the DISC personality profile system. I don't know if you're familiar with that, David, but, you know, C's are real thinkers. They're left brain analytical, they're scientists. And so I get a lot of C personality clients and they look at every little thing. They're very detail oriented and they won't even maybe do a procedure because they're worried that if I start doing that type of procedure, I'm worried that I'm going to be, if I do something wrong, I'm just going to be sued. You know, and so they sure. they almost uh, so instead of expanding their practice and growing and, and, and becoming this amazing clinician in these other areas, they'd rather play it safe and and almost recoil. Right. And so how what are what are some of the ways that dentists can avoid litigation? What any common pitfalls or how would you suggest to give that doctor that peace of mind to avoid that malpractice? Sure. Uh, first, to, to your point about a dentist that might not want to pursue a specific procedure because they're concerned, if they have the skills, I'd always recommend that someone, uh, you know, uh, incorporate something in their practice if, if they're skillful and believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a great quote that I have on my son's wall. It's a quote by Babe Ruth that says, uh, never let the fear of striking out stop you from playing the game. And I, I would put that in, uh, under that category. Yeah. Um, but to that personality's point about some some ways that you can avoid litigation that there have been countless a lot of studies on this and and in dental and medical malpractice claims often come down to a very specific thing and that is the failure to have compassion and for the personal interaction between doctor and patient to have gone awry and, and there, you will find that there are studies conducted where um, someone, you know, uh, did not pursue a medical malpractice claim or a dental malpractice claim. And overwhelmingly, they say, well, that dentist, she, she was really nice to me and she apologized. Or mm. he, he, he was really, uh, you know, he sent, he sent me a note afterwards apologizing where, where you know, the staff was very courteous. And, and so often... Uh, litigation is fueled by emotions. And sure, if, if something catastrophic happens and someone is severely injured and they have to come out of pocket to fix some damage, sure, that's understandable. But these most malpractice litigation is borderline. It could go either way. And mm. so often the personal feeling that someone has when they leave your office, that is what is going to, they're going to take with them when deciding whether to pursue something or not. Right. Mm -hmm. If you if you go to it's it sounds reductive, but if, if you go to a restaurant and you you know you, you uh, aren't happy with the meal, if the the manager comes over and they say you know Eric, I'm so sorry for your experience. Uh, you know here's you know next one's on the house or you know here's here's we're com we'll comp this today and and you know here's a here's a free drink for for you and, and your partner or whatever it is. Uh, you know so often that little thing might make you go back to that restaurant someday because you're not leaving with the bad experience of just having um, uh, a, a poor 
food or whatever the experience is and then yeah. leaving that as your final uh, thought. Um, so common courtesy goes a long way with medical malpractice and, and that's that and dental malpractice. That's been proven uh, with a lot of different studies. I've gone to a bunch of symposiums on litigation avoidance and uh there, there's, there's even data to show that dentists that have um, increased communications systems and and, uh, and and you know tickler systems to follow up with people and just yep. stay front of mind in people's uh, you know it, it, stay yep. front of mind can really go a long way with someone when whether deciding to pursue a complaint or uh, you know heaven forbid a, a malpractice claim. Yeah, I, I tell clients all the time about a. Um a story with a client where they did the exam on a 18 plus, you know, maybe 19 year old child, right, of a family, but college student. She, you know, as the patient came in, they diagnosed a, a cavity. The patient left. They they wrote in the chart that was it. She said, "I'll let my parents." Know. She didn't schedule anything. She said, "I'll let my parents know." She's 18, over 18, so they didn't call the parents, right? Right. You, see where this, you see where this is going. Sure. And, and then she went off to college, drank more soda and, you know, freshman 15 or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> I don't know, uh, came back and had a toothache. And the parents called up and, and, and we were like, yeah, we told her it was a cavity, you know, nine months ago. And they're like, why didn't you call us? And they got really upset, you know, and there was no documentation of any follow through. Right. And it was it was a bit of a gray line because no one had been contacted as far as the parents go, but yet, and they, she was under their insurance and that sort of thing. And so, you know, we put systems in place for follow-up to make sure that doesn't get missed. Sure. You know, everybody leaves with that appointment being created. It doesn't mean scheduled, but that way the follow-up doesn't fall through the cracks, right? Absolutely. And that's an unfortunate situation where I think if that, if that, patient was 14 instead of 18 yeah it might have gone a little differently because you would have spoken with mom or dad yep. uh, but you know look that that's that that's a, a great example of where a little bit of human touch goes and a little bit of bedside manner can go a long way yeah and and having you, you mentioned the verbal skills i'm on this uh facebook group for dentists and i'm shocked at some of the dentists response that what the post was was a picture of a broken iphone and what had happened was the patient had a real loose fitting uh, jacket, sweatshirt, I don't know, cardigan type thing and had the yeah. phone in that pocket. And when they leaned the chair back, it snapped, crunched the phone. And so the dentist basically put this post up and said, this isn't my responsibility, right? right. And I'm going, what's a $200 phone versus all the negative feedback sure. And response you're going to get and i was shocked at the comments it was literally like a 50 50 split there were dentists on there saying it's not your fault don't worry about it. it's not your fault and i was going right what are we doing right now we're worried about a 200 dollar phone yeah i mean what would you say to that you know i would i would say to that that you, you catch more flies with honey than you yeah. do with vinegar and if if there's ever a tough decision to be made between keeping a patient happy exactly and protecting your rights as a business owner, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm much more inclined to counsel my clients to take the path of least resistance and that $200 investment. They'll never forget that. Yeah. You'll be the dentist that got them a new phone oh when, when it might not yeah. have even been your fault or, and it doesn't necessarily need to even be a new phone. There's other ways to, to handle it. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, either a credit that they would have to use, give them a free teeth whitening, you know, just some other offset yeah. that can leave them 
feeling positively about you rather than, you know, if someone steps on your shoe, do you have to pick a fight about it? Right. There there are certain ways to just turn the other cheek and say, you know what, it's the cost of doing business. And sometimes think think about how much money dentists spend on marketing. You know, Mm -hmm. here you have a situation where someone is physically already in your office. Imagine how much you spend per potential getting that patient in the door. yeah. Exactly. And this person's already in your door. So I, I would always counsel people to to take care of their, their patients and the rest will work itself out. And that's just some reputation management and you create a raving fan by doing the right thing. How would that's you right. like to be treated in that situation? And they look at you as the dentist as, you know, driving the nice car, you're rich. And yet, and my, my phone was broken in, during your, and it's like, oh my gosh, just, just bless them. And it'll go so much further. So I, I, I hope there's dentists out there listening who hear something and go, you know what? We always want to uh, benefit the, the patient in this. We always want to bless the patient in this and not uh, be, be perceived as being cheap or negligent or what have you. So any, what other common pitfalls that uh, they deal with patients and things like that? Anything else you would add to that? Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't speak about vendor agreements. Now, I know that mm-hmm. dentists are so often um, – can they're approached by various uh, service providers and goods providers that they're looking to partner up with, uh, with dentists, be it either for marketing purposes or, you know, product lines uh, or other, other vendor agreements where they enter into an agreement for X amount of time and that they'll get a certain amount of referrals or or those types of, of entities. And the one thing I'd counsel them on is just, check the termination provision in all of your vendor agreements because the last thing you you want it because a lot of vendor agreements they read like a lease and if if you ever read a good real estate lease agreement and i'm sure you know most of our dentists that have their own practices have done this if you breach the lease you have to pay the full amount to the end of the lease you have to buy it out right and so a lot of vendors agreements have those same termination, uh, have those same termination clauses that sure, fine, you can end the contract, but you still have to pay us everything. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, you know, you're, you signed a three-year deal and, and, and four months into this relationship with this, either this marketing entity or, or you know, we're, we're a, uh, uh, you know, yep. another provider of some sort that you're not happy with the service, then you're stuck for the next two and a half years uh, unless you unless you have to sue them to to argue that they've breached it in some way when really they haven't breached it they're just you not just as great like as yeah. you just don't you're just not thrilled with yeah. their service yeah uh, without saying a name of a company there we, you know, we we text message and email our clients that's a really big no brainer have that service in your practice and for a long time there was just just one company that did it and it was a two year agreement. And no dentist ever checked that. And when they were like, well, I don't really want to do it anymore. They're like, no, you're in it for two years. And here's the kicker. On, uh, what is it, uh, month 25, day one, it automatically renewed for another two-year agreement. Unless unless you had to notify them a certain time. 30 days before. Yeah. So then other companies have come along and, and they're like, no, it's month to month. And so that has forced that company now. They're at one, they're in a one year uh, agreement. They've cut it in half, but it's still a year. Yeah. Uh, also, also happens credit card processing. I see it. The the machine that you use, the, you, you need to know sure. what that is, and read That's the fine print. That's a great print. example. Yeah. Uh, so 
I, I totally get what you're saying. You got to be careful because you can't get out of those things very easily, sure. typically. And, and I, I only, with clients, I only recommend a certain, uh, a few companies who don't have that sort of lock-in that's going to really punish you. Sure. And, and one more thing that I don't even think we, we spoke about real quick, but make sure, and I'd say this to all business owners, but there's something called the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. It's the TCPA. And that is that, that was the statute designed to prevent spam phone calls. Mm. And that has now been extended to text messages in a lot of ways. And so if you're a business entity that has, um, that uses a marketing company that sends mass texts out, mm-hmm. make sure that when your patients sign up or anyone signs up. First of all, I don't counsel to send any text messages at, to prospective clients, uh, to prospective patients under any circumstances. Uh, if you're going to send a text to anybody, make sure it's a phone number that they provided you. They gave this to you yeah, for you're business not soliciting. Purposes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one thing that we were talking about business, um, business, um, litigation avoidance. That one is huge because the statute provides $500 per uh, erroneous text. Uh, so if you, wow. if you hire, yes. And so if you hire a marketing company that sent this out to however many people, they can, they have standing to sue for what's called a class action lawsuit where they sue, where they're one person suing you on behalf of a whole bunch of other people that they're going to then discover during the lawsuit to find out everyone else you sent that text message to. And this is pretty scary stuff. I don't mean to to sound the alarm bells, but you, you can, you'll read if you, if you Google it in 30 seconds, if you Google TCPA class action, you'll see, you know, millions of of hits on it. And some, some really close friends of mine are plaintiff's attorneys and they've gotten millions of dollars in verdicts against small and large companies on this. Wow. Uh, and it's something that a lot of your general liability insurance companies have uh, carve outs for it. So uh, yeah, okay. have exclusions in their policies. <laughs> yeah. so you're going to get tagged for it. So the yeah. insurance company is not even going to pay for him on most general liability uh, yeah. uh, defense policies for business owners. Makes sense. And then lastly, just some peace of mind with uh, employees, anything that we can do to make sure that our, you know, I know you mentioned employee agreements, things like that. Any specifics that you would suggest? I'm thinking mostly in terms of like wrongful dismissals, but anything else? Sure, sure. I, I again, I would go back and make sure that the, I, I would use a contract for all, all your employment needs because, you know, dental practices usually have, a, they're a tight knit uh, office. It's a tight knit feel to the industry. And so there's no harm in using uh, employment agreements for all your employees. And I would make sure that those agreements have the correct termination clauses uh, that protect you as an employer and contain what, you know, the main thing is to have a non-compete agreement that complies with your state statute of what is presumed to be reasonable. Uh, and that is, in, just give you an example, it, it could be up to a year uh, and have a, a reasonable geographic radius that they're not allowed to go uh, and, and contact your, your patients and then use them, uh, use that as a springboard to start their own company down the street. Uh, now I that, see that I see that. Excuse me, I, I see that for a dentist to associate, right? I get that. Could that also be used for like another type of employee, like a hygienist, or no? Um, it's so, and I'll speak specifically to Florida law because there's no there's no mm. federal uh, there's no mm-hmm. one law that would apply federally to everybody. But most statute most states have. Um, it's almost like a sliding scale. The higher up on the ladder you are, 
the 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 more um, the more the state will allow a restriction on it. So, for example, you'd have an easier time as a business owner stopping one of your dentist associates from starting a business down the street than you would for one of your hygienists to leave you and then go work down yeah. the street. Yeah, uh, because there's, yeah, there's yeah. there's an emphasis on, and, and we love our hygienists. I'm, I'm yeah. not, you know, nothing nothing disparaging, but the the training and the uh, amount of time and money that you've invested in this dentist is more than it is in, in a hygienist and the court and the gotcha. law takes that into account when it evaluates your question. Good to know. And then I've seen with clients where there's been litigation due to, I didn't provide them, I'm the owner, I didn't provide them with a lunch, not a lunch break, but a break, like a morning break, an afternoon break. And honestly, in dentistry, it's pretty hard to get a break. I mean, sure. Even for a hygienist, you're scheduling patients every hour on the hour. You don't really get a break per se. So sure. how, how do how do dentists prevent that from happening? What are some things they can do to have peace of mind knowing they're not going to have a disgruntled employee come back at them uh, after dismissal? I, I would say to treat your employees like grownups and that they can um, use your discretion you, if you have if you're able to schedule a brief break in between patients at a certain time of day that I would make that consistent so that this way your office can plan around it. Right. Uh, so this way, if, if you pick, you know, pick the time, you know, from 1215 to 1245 uh, either have, you know, less patients so that you only need one hygienist. If you're an office that has two hygienists, then stagger your appointments so you only need one uh, in the middle of the day, so that that you know that hygienist can take a break uh, during this time. And then when you have another patient come in, it's time for that other hygienist to come back on the clock uh, and service the new patient while the other one takes a break. So I would say staggering of appointments is is I mean that's that's a, a science that you could probably teach me about a lot more than I could teach you. But I think that for just staggering breaks and to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to, to rest their feet for a minute and, and get a, get a quick bite to eat. Um, I think staggering appointments in the middle of the day is, is certainly one option. And uh, the other is just um, like I said, just, I, I, I always err on the side of treating everyone like grownups and given, giving your empower your employees to have even a slight bit of autonomy. They really do appreciate it. Yeah. All right, cool, love it. And I mean, I, I obviously, with the COVID, with the election, with uh, changing the guard, what's to come? You know, I'm not asking you to predict the stock market here or anything, David. Sure. But oh, what I are wish. some <laughs> What are some issues you see coming up just down the road? What should we be aware of? What can we, again, more peace of mind that we're planning ahead? Sure. So you know, it's funny if we had this, if we recorded this you know, two months ago, I think my answer would be significantly different. Uh, and that is not, and, and it's not for the reason you think it's not the outcome of the election. Oh, okay. And it's, it's the outcome of a case that's currently pending before the U S Supreme court. And that is the constitutionality of the affordable care act. Um, before a recent hearing, they recently had oral arguments on it. And, and essentially the argument is that the affordable care act is unconstitutional because it mandates a human being to buy something, right? Mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. The government cannot force the citizenry to buy a product. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's the basis for the, 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 um, to invalidate the affordable care act. Now the, 
heading into the oral argument, it was largely perceived that with the addition of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and now there's something of a 6-3 split on the court and erring on the side of, of the sort of uh, conservative legal thought, that that, um, that would be in danger and that they might actually uh, declare it unconstitutional. And that would send the entire healthcare industry um, into a level of uncertainty until either a new comprehensive bill uh, is passed, or it would just return, you know, everything to free market, and we're, we'll be right back where we were in 2010, 2011. Um, but at a recent hearing, uh, both Justice John Roberts and Justice, the uh, uh, new Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, were very um, dismissive of the idea that if they do declare that one item, what's called the individual mandate, uh, unconstitutional. Do they have to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Does that cancel everything? Yeah. And the legal term is excising. Can they excise that out of it? And the, as a result of the the recent oral argument, uh, it, it legal scholars are confident that even if they do um, reiterate the individual, if they do find the individual mandate unconstitutional, uh, that the entire comprehensive framework for healthcare in this country would at least remain intact. Uh, for the, for the time being. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that until just a few weeks ago, it, it was a big issue in the election. And it's certainly a big part of the American uh, psyche right now. Um, but I think that some of the result of that hearing led legal scholars to believe that even if they do uh, decide that the individual mandate is unconstitutional, that the remaining uh, aspects of the ACA will remain intact. So I think that will give the healthcare industry and as a whole uh, some some level of clarity. And to the effect that that uh, extends to uh, dentists, you know that that pertains to the entirety of the healthcare. Uh, community and platform of this entire country. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, without giving how I feel about it one way or the other, I just <laughs> think that it's at least um, helpful to know that it's most likely that there will not be some giant upheaval uh, in the healthcare industry in 2021, other than the calamities we're currently dealing with. With COVID, yeah. So have you heard anything about this affecting people's ability, I should say people, uh, affect like corporations or businesses providing benefits or healthcare coverage for their employees. Like I've heard numbers out there and I'm like, that is a huge number of people, quote, losing their benefits. Have you yeah. heard anything like that? How, is so, this intertwined? Or? <laughs> I, th I think, you know, I believe that has been used as a political football okay. on both sides. And I'll explain that. Uh, what that is referring to is if the ACA were in fact invalidated in total, mm -hmm. one of the things that is required by the ACA is to is to cover pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. And so, when you hear that, um, that means it would give insurance carriers the right not to issue policies to something close to I we've heard anywhere from twenty million to a hundred million people. Yeah, I heard sixty have, million. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you for every sixty million you've heard, I've heard a hundred. <laughs> someone else has heard twenty. Someone yeah. else, you know, it depends where you read. Uh, but I think it's th that issue is a political football used to identify the quantity of people with pre-existing conditions that if the ACA were thrown out. Um, 
they would lose their insurance. The insurance carriers, right? Who, who, not who would automatically lose their insurance, which is kind of the way that one yeah. side of the political aisle has tried to to, yeah. to spin it. But then conversely, uh, that it would give the right for insurance carriers to not renew or to cancel policies. And, and frankly, we just don't know. Yeah. It's just if that were invalidated, it's just it's a huge question mark of what yeah. would actually happen. And I think that regardless of what happens, if it's affirmed, if the entire entirety of the statutory framework is affirmed, for better or worse, it'll at least provide clarity. And Where we're there's going. some there's some value in that for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, for dentists, they're probably hearing this going, well, that's more medical based. That's more medical insurance focused, not really dental insurance focused. Uh, but I will say this, people per, people's perception, the general public's perception is that if I don't have insurance, I can't go to the dentist. Right. And what you need to be prepared for and as a business owner is to remove that friction, be flexible, allow people to come see you. So have a in-office membership plan, something that shows them that you're willing to to do everything you can to assist them to get in to receive care. And so I think no matter how this uh, turns out with the Affordable Care Act or corporations, you know, cutting back or whatever it is, we've got to be prepared to anticipate a worst case scenario. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to, just to put a, a quick bow on it, it affects the dent- dentistry both in the macro and the micro sense. It affects in the macro sense that um, how the entire country deals with healthcare will have a direct and an indirect on how it deals with dentistry from an insurance perspective and just on what research and development is is invested in because it'll affect uh, how various funds are allocated. But then even more importantly on the micro uh, aspects of it, if you're a business owner or if you're an associate dentist at another practice, those issues affect you for your own lives and in your own business. So I, I think, you know, it's very important for dentists to follow that issue it's as true. business owners and as consumers of, of insurance. Healthcare. Yeah. I mean, you have employees that you're trying to say, Hey, go get affordable care act and I'll pay you a hundred dollars right. a month. Well, if that's not there anymore, if it changes, you got to be aware of that too. I get your point. That makes sense. Exactly. Okay. I get you. All right. So I'm sure there's some questions I've missed, David. So how do, how do people reach out to you that sure. are listening that, that say, Eric, you forgot to ask this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anyone, any, any of your listeners or anyone can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed or anything else, uh, you know, I'm the type of person that I can be a referral source to you that uh, I'm happy to help you with your practice. I'm happy to have answer any questions you have. Hell, if I'm not even the person to help you, I'm happy to set you up with someone who is. Mm. Uh, so you can contact me. Uh, my website is Ehrlich Law LLC. That's E-H-R-L-I-C-H. L-A-W-L-L-C.com. So EhrlichLawLLC.com. Uh, also, I'll give you my email address is David at EhrlichLawLLC.com. E-H-R-L-I-C-H LawLLC.com. I, I spell my name every time because it's it's kind of difficult. And so I can't tell you how many times I've had to change my uh, my my email because putting Ehrlich twice in my email throughout my uh, my, my firm practice has been a nightmare. Uh, and then also my phone number is 954-507-4477. Again, 954-507-4477. So if anyone has any questions or they just want to uh, bounce an idea off somebody, I'm happy to be a resource in that regard. And, and uh, I've, this has been a tremendous experience and I, I'm really uh, glad that to be involved with this. And I, I you know, 
thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. No, I think this has been a real treat. I know that this is on the minds of business owners, dentists out there. It's just not on the front all the time. It's like it, it jumps in front, they have a question, then they re- repress it and go, no, I need to go do a crown. <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> right. there's these thoughts that they have, and I'm sure I didn't cover all of it, but this gave us a good, just dipped our toes in, and you provided some great helpful information, so I'm real appreciative. Uh, for those listening, if, if you have questions for me, it's eric at allstardentalacademy.com, E-R-I-C at allstardentalacademy.com. Of course, we're here to help you uh, with anything you're dealing with. And if we don't know how to deal with it, we'll refer you to people like David. And so uh, you can also uh, get a coach, have someone to help you be a business owner. You can email Heather at heather at allstardentalacademy.com. She can talk to you and just tell you what, what she thinks is the best options for you. She's amazing. She's so nice. And I know that she, for those of you that are listening, she would love it if you would share this uh, podcast with your friends who you know need to hear this information that David shared with us today. So subscribe to the podcast, share it, whether it's on YouTube or on the podcast, share it with your your colleagues. This is just great free advice that people need to hear. Uh, and, And just being business owners, you gotta hear this stuff, you gotta be aware. So thank you so much again, David, for, uh, donating your time to us today and just being so willing to share. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a a fantastic experience. (laughs) And for those that are listening, thank you for joining us and taking the time to invest in yourself. And until next time, go out there and be an all-star. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.